We are in week three of our series called Listen Like Jesus. Over the last few weeks, we've been taking a look at how Jesus impacted the world that he lived in, not just by his teaching, but also just by listening to those around him. Listening for more than facts and listening for more than just a chance to gather ideas of what he's going to say next. The big thought that we've been working on is that for us to truly listen like Jesus, it's more than just hearing words, but the meaning behind those words. Through this series, we hope you've realized that we need to learn to listen to others, not just for facts, but for feelings and emotions. We see how Jesus was a great speaker and a healer, but maybe he was also a great listener. Listening is something I think we all have trouble doing. In a world that makes so much noise, we have a tough time stopping from thinking about what we're going to say next and really listen to what someone else is saying. This week, uh, we're going to be in John chapter 3. Uh, you can turn there now in your Bibles or log on with your YouVersion apps. We're going to be covering a lot of verses today, so you might want to follow along just to make sure I'm not making all of this stuff up from John chapter 3. John, uh, John was one of Jesus' good friends, and he, he wrote this book. I like to think that when John got older, he thought, you know, I, I should write down the things that I remember Jesus doing and saying. So, this next generation will know all the things that I witnessed, all the things that happened in Jesus' lifetime. When he wrote this, Jesus is, is gone, but imagine how popular John was. John was the, the last living original 12 disciples. He was one of the last living original 12, uh, 12 disciples. John saw Jesus do everything. He saw him do miracles. He saw him die. Then three days later, John saw the empty tomb. John lived to be an old man. And if it happened, John was there. John sits down to write these stories, and John writes what he thinks people might ask him. He knows that he's going to die soon, and he wants these stories to live on. And let's remember, this wasn't fiction to John. These were things that actually happened in his lifetime. Now, now, now imagine you. Imagine you having a letter written from the last living apostle, someone who walked and talked with Jesus, maybe Jesus' best friend. How, valu how valuable would that be? be? Right at the beginning of John chapter 3, John introduces us to Nicodemus, a character who only shows up in John's account of Jesus' life and death. And he's a minor character, but he plays a major role. Nicodemus shows up three times in the Gospel of John. He shows up here in chapter 3 to ask some clarifying questions. He shows up in chapter 7 at Jesus' trial. And maybe the most telling is that he shows up at the end of John's book, after the crucifixion. And he's there to provide embalming spices for Jesus' body. John shares a few facts in the first few verses about Nicodemus that I think we should take some time to talk about. John shares that Nicodemus is a Jewish religious leader. He's a Pharisee. And he came at night to speak to Jesus. John identifies Nicodemus as a Jewish, Jewish religious leader, a Pharisee. I, I find that interesting. Why is a guy like that coming to Jesus alone? These people were famous to join in the large gatherings and ask Jesus trick questions. You know, the, the questions that were designed to put Jesus in a position to answer a question really where there wasn't any good answers. The Pharisees were asking Jesus, whose side are you on? Was, was he on what they think is God's side or the side of the Romans who were in charge and who the Jews didn't want in their country? These questions that the Pharisees asked were designed to make a person asking them look smart and the person answering them look dumb. The questions that they designed were there to make a point. 
There are many recorded questions asked to Jesus by Pharisees throughout the New Testament. Most, most were the gotcha variety. Some of the ones that, you might, that might come to mind to you are, you know, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Another one was, who is my neighbor? These were all designed for a gotcha moment, a way for the religious leaders to shoot holes in the teachings of Jesus. They're trying to send a message to, to, to Jesus' growing crowd. Hey, hey you want to follow Jesus? Well, he says the greatest command is to love our neighbor. And he says a neighbor is more than just people who look like us. Let's find a way to get him to say that. So he'd ask the question, okay, Jesus, tell me, who really is my neighbor? John also tells us that Nicodemus shows up at, nice, uh, at night. This is a time where there's no streetlights, not much of a nightlife then, no late night specials at restaurants or late night movies. Not a lot of people would just be on the streets at night. At that time, it would have been dangerous even to be out after dark. This kind of shows us this is going to be a, a secret meeting. So what does that mean? It looks like Nicodemus didn't want many people to know what he was up to. Maybe his reputation as a religious leader would be on the line if he was caught hanging out with Jesus. It, it would be kind of a social suicide. It, 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 would, it would be kind of like him liking a year-old picture on Instagram. <laughs> And if you don't know what's wrong with that, just ask your kids. <laughs> Hanging out with Jesus alone would ruin his reputation. At this point, I wonder if Jesus thought, why am I even having this conversation with Nicodemus? He, he might be here to trick me somehow. He, he's here to ask a question and maybe all of his buddies are going to burst into the room and arrest me. But Jesus doesn't do that. He, he sees something that I might not have seen. Jesus sees an opportunity. Nicodemus is a Pharisee, but he seems to be different. From the very start, it, it didn't seem to, he, he didn't seem to have a gotcha line of questioning. He came in looking for genuine answers. He came at night. There were no crowds there. He's even coming in humbly saying in John chapter 3 verse 2, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Nicodemus was different. It didn't seem like he had a gotcha question. He came with questions of inquiry. Because of this conversation and Nicodemus's line of questions, we're going to see someone who has genuine interest in knowing more about Jesus. As we look at the questions that Nicodemus asked, it really looks like Nicodemus wasn't trying to make a point. We see other religious leaders coming to Jesus to make a point. And when they do, they bring a crowd. If, they, if he were there to make a point, he would have invited his buddies. They would have come with fine-tuned questions where, where the purpose would have been a gotcha moment. But it didn't look like Nicodemus came with this. He came alone. He came with honest questions. And th these are the questions he asks. He asks questions like, what do you mean? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Then he asks, how are all these things possible? I like the questions that Nicodemus asks. A, a lot can be understood about someone by the questions that they ask. The conversation starts with Nicodemus telling Jesus what he thought of him. Then they have this very awkward conversation about being born again with Nicodemus asking if he should climb back into his mother. <laughs> but some people ask questions to prove a point. But it looked like Nicodemus was coming with questions to understand a point. Jesus listened for questions to clarify belief. Now, because Jesus listened for questions that would help understand a point, what happened next 
was amazing. And I, I can't stress this enough. If, 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 he would, if he wasn't open to listen for opportunities to answer them, he, he, he would have missed what happened next because what happened next is very famous and what happened next made history. But let's put ourselves in the shoes of the author John. John is an old man and he's writing about this conversation that Jesus had, this very famous conversation. In the middle of the story, John is explaining to the reader how Jesus explained himself to Nicodemus on who he really was because of Nicodemus's clarifying questions. As John is telling this story, as, as he's writing this down, it's like John gets so excited. As he's explaining the story, he blurts out on paper what he's really trying to get across to the reader. Maybe he felt he was old and maybe he felt he wasn't going to live to see the end of the book. So right while John is telling the story of Jesus and Nicodemus, he sort of gets to the point of this whole thing. John lets us know, maybe more than what Jesus did, maybe he was pointing to who Jesus is. Right in the middle of this conversation, with this back and forth between Jesus and Nicodemus, John writes this statement. And it might be the most brilliant and most famous statement in the whole Bible. And the reason it's so famous, because in just a few words, he manages to grab the essence of the good news. Don't forget that this never would have been recorded unless Jesus decided that day to listen for opportunities. So I want to take a quick look at what we would have missed if Jesus wasn't looking for opportunities. If he wasn't listening for people asking clarifying questions. Now, if you decided to never become a Christian, which is your choice, if, if you've decided to never become a Christian, this is what you're deciding not to be part of. You, you might have decided not to be a Christian because of something that happened to you or maybe someone that you know or maybe in an encounter you had with a Christian. Maybe, and maybe if I had your experience, I just might feel the very same way. Now, if you decide that you don't want to be one, maybe you need to realize what you are rejecting. John's writing, and he is so excited, and you've probably heard this before. In John 3.16, probably the most famous verse in the Bible, for, God, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son. God loves and God gave. Isn't that what in love people do? He did what in love people do. That, that's why you give gifts to people you love. God loved the world. He, he did what you do when you love someone. That's why you give, not because you have to, but because you get to. This encounter would have all been missed if Jesus wasn't listening for opportunity to clarify his belief. This is a lot more meaningful than we truly understand. We read this through the mind of the 21st century person. In the mind of most people in the first century, gods did not love humans. If you look at history and, and at their thinking, it, it, might look at, it might look as if gods just played with them. And it didn't matter what the cost of humans were. We might describe it as some video game where we're all under their control. We have no say. Things just happen. The gods think of all of this as just a game. The gods in the first century didn't love people. They played with people. For some people in the first century, the gods were out to get them. They were there to make their lives miserable. When you love someone, you're not out to get them or make their lives miserable. Can you see how this might be life-changing for those in the first century? In the first century, all you saw was God's playing with mankind. John is looking back at this encounter with Jesus, and he says, God isn't out to get you. God loved this world so much, he gave them his most valuable possession, his one and only 
son. Jesus is taking an opportunity to clear up some misconceptions of God. This would have been a new idea, a drastic, different idea that the world that they were living in would be telling them about God. Most of them would be amazed. They would, they would stop and say, wait, wait, there's a God that loves and a God that gives. We, we only know about gods that take. Maybe we miss the heart of sharing the gospel because we're not listening close enough for some of these opportunities that are right in front of us. This is all the good news that Jesus is sharing. God, John is looking back and he knows the end of the story. And he adds these words. He gave his one and only son and you are added into this story so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Everyone. That includes you. That includes me. No matter if you're from a Catholic or a Baptist or a Pentecostal church. No matter where you were born. This is why our church supports missions. We believe that Jesus... He came for everyone. Now, if Jesus hadn't really listened to this genuine question that Nicodemus had, we'd never have heard this amazing verse that most of you, whether you call yourself a Christian or not, have heard. I want you to continue to understand this extraordinary statement that we've seen everywhere. This statement that we wouldn't have missed if Jesus wasn't looking for opportunity. John is writing this for God so loved the world that everyone, and he chooses a common Greek word that basically means believe. And what they would add to it is a preposition that, that we would translate in, like I believe in Santa Claus. We, we say these things all the time. John thinks, but that's not really what I'm after. I'm not after someone believing in Jesus, like I believe the man Jesus existed. It, it's, it's got to be more than that. So then John takes a preposition that some have said this is the first time this order has shown up in the Greek language anywhere. He takes a preposition that we interpret that means into or toward. We use it like we're going to put your trust in. And then he adds it to the word believe. And he creates a brand new idea for those who have been, re been reading this in the first century. The idea of believes towards. I hear in the Greek language there is no word for trust. There's only word for believes. John is trying to capture the idea that Jesus is at, what Jesus is asking the world to do in response to what God has done. He puts these two words together to create this idea. Whoever trusts in, leans in, moves into what God is doing for them. It gives the idea that you should put your trust in Jesus. Trust him that he has your best interest in mind. And it, it's, it's an exchange. Whoever trusts in, believes in, they're going to get something in return. God loved, God gave, and we received the very thing he came to give us. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in, that means that everyone who's invited into this relationship, no matter their background, no matter what they do for a living or what they've done in the past, they will not perish but have eternal life. Here's another thought that we would have missed if Jesus wasn't listening for opportunity that day. Perish was a very common Greek word. The idea was your life will come to an end. You will die. You will cease to exist. You will perish. John says, if you do this thing that I'm talking about, putting your faith in Christ, you will never cease to be. You won't perish. He grabs this little phrase, eternal life. Now, that idea was quite popular at the time because everyone wanted to live forever, and I think we still do. The Roman emperors thought about this and found the best way to die or to never die would be to tell everyone that they're gods because gods never die. 
So there's this trend for leaders to declare themselves God. Julius de Caesar declared himself a God. Claudius declared himself a God. Nero tried to do this. They all wanted to be divine so they could live forever. John, who's now older, is saying, no, no, that's, that's not it. You don't have to make yourself a God to live forever. Whoever places their trust in Jesus, their life will not end. They will receive eternal life. The reason he chooses this phrase is because not only did Jesus use it, but Jesus defined it. God loved. God gave. We believe and we have something in exchange for our belief. The good news is God gives us a gift. How did Jesus listen to Nicodemus? He respected his honest questions. How can we listen like Jesus? Listen for those honest questions. Maybe we're missing helping others see who God really is, changing their perspective who God really is because we miss these people who are in our lives who are asking questions to clarify what, to clarify what they believe about God just because we're not listening. So what lives can you help change if you just listened for opportunity? Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that Jesus set an amazing example on how to listen to others. And Jesus, as he comes across Nicodemus, I'm so glad that he saw through his exterior on who Nicodemus was, and he, he saw the genuine interest that Nicodemus had in his life, in this life that Jesus was talking about. So God, I pray that we too would be able to see that in our own worlds. We would see people who are genuinely interested in who you are and what we believe. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In a moment, a question is going to pop up on your screen. I encourage you to take some time and talk about this if you're watching with someone or think about it if you are watching alone. I'll be back in a minute to wrap things up. Here's the question. How can we identify those genuine questions and comments that people make as an opportunity to clarify a point? I joined a, hockey, a men's hockey team a few years ago. Before I even went on the ice with them, I prayed in the dressing room. Now, you might think I'm a pretty special human being for praying in a men's league dressing room, <laughs> but wait till you hear what I prayed. I prayed, dear Lord, don't let them ask me what I do for a living. I really wanted them to know who I was before they knew what I did. I thought if they find out that I'm a believer and a pastor, they might think I'm someone who's judgmental. Now, don't worry, they eventually found out what I did, but only after they knew who I was only after I learned what an opportunity looked like with them. I, I wanted them to know who I was before they found out what I did. I, I looked for different opportunities to clear up some misconceptions about God. I remember in about year three, a, a new guy came on our team, and he went to one of the other players and said almost in secret, do you know that Troy is a pastor? The guy looked at him and laughed and said, he's the most unjudgmental religious guy I've ever met. I didn't know how to take that, but I took it as a good thing. Was I perfect in listening for all the opportunities that God brought my way? No. Did it clear up all their misconceptions about God? No. But by the end of that time, they were asking great questions, and I was doing my best in changing the perspective that many of them had about God and Christians, and it took some time. I really believe that you can do that too. Just look for opportunities that come your way. And don't think you have to answer all the questions because none of us are Jesus and can't answer everything. And I don't know and I'll look into it are perfectly good answers. So listen for opportunities this week. Our doxology for this series is 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of all of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Have a fantastic week. Hope to see you back next week.